can have a seat. We've been thinking about Thanksgiving in this series as we lead up to Thanksgiving next week, and one of the things that we've noted is that there are so many distractions that keep us from giving thanks. That happens, right? So there's something not right in our life, a relationship that is broken, something going on at work, maybe the finances are a mess, something's up at the house, whatever it is, we're so focused in on that one thing that's not right in our lives that we forget to give thanks. And it feels a little bit like giving thanks is a a secret art that only some people know, or maybe a lost art, but the point is we're just not, not doing it very well sometimes. And we're learning from Scripture in this series how we can develop a a sense of thankfulness, a practice of of thankfulness that will help us grow in this part of our discipleship. And last week we talked about how we we show our thankfulness to other people through our encouragement, and that illustrates that, that thankfulness runs in a couple directions, right? Sometimes we're thankful to God for what God has done for us. He's blessed us in amazing ways, and so we give thanks to God. Sometimes our thankfulness goes to other people, and we want to show that we're thankful for the place they hold in our lives and what they do. And we, it also shows that we give thanks in a number of ways. Last week we talked about encouraging. Today I want us to think about a specific way we give thanks to God, and that's through our worship. And to think about how worship and thanksgiving go together. Now, whenever we walk into some kind of worship service, whether it's in this room or maybe somewhere else, whatever it is, we bring a lot with us, right? I mean, we bring the experiences of that morning. You may have already had some experiences, good or bad. Maybe it's been a great morning, or maybe it's been just a struggle to get everyone dressed, fed, in the car, and here. That happens. And we bring all that in with us. We bring some of the concerns from this past week, things we've had to deal with. We bring some things that we're worried about happening this coming week. All that comes with us, and that's okay, because that's life. God already knows about it, so it's fine to bring it in this room. We also bring with us some questions. When we come into a worship service, we want to say, well, what's going to happen in this room? Is anything going to move me? Is anything powerful going to happen? Is is what's sung or said or prayed, is it going to make a difference in my life? Is the the sermon going to speak to something that's going on in my life? Is the, the worship music going to move me emotionally? And all those are good questions, right? I mean, it's okay to think that because it is an emotional experience to be here. We do hope that we learn something when we come to this place, and we want it all to be meaningful for our lives. That's why we plan it out. That's why we prepare. So we may come with those questions, and in fact, we may come with the question for God, for those who are leading, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? Because you know whose needs I'm most aware of? Mine. You know whose pain I'm most acutely acknowledging? Mine. You know whose favorite songs I know the best? Mine. All those things we know about ourselves because we're closer to that than anybody else. And we've had experiences in worship that have powerfully moved us, and because we've had those experiences, we'd love to see it happen again. And so we're thinking about our interaction with God. So we bring all that in the room with us, okay? But are there any other things that we can bring 
that might transform our worship experience. I want us to think about that, and I want to allow Paul to speak to us from the book of Colossians. The, the foundational passage for this, uh, this sermon series is really from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church he'd never been to, a group of people he'd never met, and he, he's talking about how their faith is growing. We discussed that last week. And he's going to deal with some problems that they have in their faith. And he's also going to say, okay, you've been baptized into Christ this is, what, this is how your life should change. This is what should look different because you're a follower of Jesus. All right? And so he lays out some stuff that needs to go away, and he, he lays out some stuff that needs to fill their lives. And when we come to Colossians 3, 15 to 17, he's sort of summing all that up in just three really general commands. We talked about 15 and 16 last week, or the first part of 16. And today I want us to focus in on the second part of verse 16 that may be the part that we, we may hear the most. So, let's hear what Paul has to say. Colossians 3, verse 16. He says, let the message of Christ, literally that is the word of Christ. So Christ's words to us, he's talking about Jesus' teaching. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now that's what we talked about last week. And we said teaching and admonishing is a two-way street. We teach and admonish one another. We sometimes admonish people to stop doing things. We sometimes admonish them to start doing things. That's part of the encouragement. So that was all last week. And then he says this, you do that through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, this is your community life, okay? He's not talking to individuals here. He's not saying, okay, when you're at home, I want you to think about this between you and God. This is you as a group coming together as a body to teach and admonish one another in the context of worship. So when we gather for worship, we are teaching and admonishing one another even through the songs that we sing. Now, New Testament scholars have had a difficult time knowing exactly what's a psalm, what's a hymn, what's a song from the Spirit. Psalms are probably what we find in the Old Testament book of Psalms, which we studied. Hymns are probably hymns that they wrote that have become part of their church life. Songs from the Spirit, sort of spontaneous songs that came as a part of a worship service. Something like that. That's not really what I want us to focus in on. What I want us to focus in is that Paul is saying you teach and admonish one another in the worship context, the last phrase, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So when you come together as the family of believers, the body of Christ, okay, I want you to come singing with gratitude in your hearts. Now what's interesting to me is the last words of verse 15, we talked about this last week, and be thankful. So when we're summing up the Christian life, he says, and be thankful. Then the end of verse 16, singing with gratitude in your hearts. The sense of gratitude and thanksgiving to God seemed to be really important to Paul. Two times in two verses, he says it. But that word gratitude key word in this verse that helps us understand what our gatherings as a church should look like. And the word that we translate from Paul's original Greek here, the word there was 
charis, we translate it a couple of different ways. Most of the time in the New Testament, the way we translate that word, which at its heart was just the word for gift. So if you gave a, a birthday gift, it would be a charis, okay? But in the New Testament, it's used in a little more technical sense in that it usually is translated as grace. Now, grace is really important in understanding what Christianity is all about, right? Grace is this free gift that was offered to us by Jesus from the cross. The gift of forgiveness. The gift that includes eternal life. It is everything that brings us into a relationship with God is offered to us as a gift, not something we could earn, not something we could pay for. It is a gift and it's up to us. Will I receive that gift? Okay. So this gift of grace, that's normally the way New Testament writers mean this. And if you look through your Bible, you see the word grace show up a lot. But here in Colossians 3.16, one of the few places in the New Testament where the Greek word charis is translated as gratitude. Now, many times we have lots of literature that's written in ancient Greek, okay? And many times it's used this way as gratitude relatively few times in the Bible. So, is Paul talking about gratitude? Or is Paul talking about grace? Now, even in English, we can just look at that word and see that those two words are connected, right? They have the same root. They come from the same root. But they have a really different meaning. So if we come to worship with gratitude, well, we get that, right? I mean, we've come in this place and we've sung songs that praise God. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about how important it is to lay out the mighty acts of God, that part of worship is reciting what God has done, both in terms of salvation history that he offered Jesus on the cross and what he's done in, in my own life, that God has done powerful things in my family, in my church, in my life. And so we talk about that. That's part of worship coming with gratitude in our hearts. We get that. Okay? It makes sense. Gratitude is an element of worship. One of the reasons that we worship God is because we have grateful hearts. But what if, <clears throat> what if Paul, when he wrote this, used the word charis just like it's meant almost everywhere else in the New Testament? And what Paul has said here is, Singing with grace in your hearts. Or graceful hearts. How would that change how we understand our gatherings as a church where we teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace-filled hearts? Well, if what I brought to this room was a sense of grace, what I would probably have on my mind is the fact that I don't deserve to be here. And the only way that I can come in the presence of God is because of grace. That God has offered me forgiveness of sins that I could never pay the price for myself. That He has offered me eternal life that I could never earn myself, that I look forward to the hope of resurrection that Paul talks about in this book that I can't achieve on my own. I don't have the power to do that. 
It's all grace. So if I walked in this room with a grace-filled heart, it would mean that I was recognizing over and over the incredible gift that's been offered to me. But grace doesn't work in just one direction. It's sort of like thankfulness. It works in other directions. If I came in this room with a grace-filled heart, it would also affect the way that I would interact with other people. Because there's no doubt when these Colossian Christians came together, man, they knocked heads just like everybody else. And in fact, we know there was a, a problem in the Colossian church because there's a guy who's a slave who's run away named Onesimus. And the letter to the Colossians came with another letter that shows up in the New Testament called Philemon. And they were going to have to figure out what do you do when a runaway slave takes money from the guy who owns him and then he comes back. If they're all Christians, what happens then? If you want to know, read Philemon and you can see Paul's instruction to the church. But what if when this church gathered in the first century, they gathered with graceful hearts, they would recognize God's grace for them, but they would also recognize the need to show grace to each other. Part of what Paul's talking about. Now in truth, regardless of whether we translate it grace or gratitude, we sort of end up in the same place, don't we? Because if we come in this room filled with grace and recognizing what God has done in our lives and that we need to extend that to the people around us, in the end, we're going to end up with gratitude because we're going to be thankful for it. So in the end, what this teaches us is that worship really springs from a heart of gratitude. When we come together for worship, part of the deal is our heart is filled with gratitude, with thankfulness to God, and it is an expression of our thankfulness. So when we think about what do I bring in this room, I bring my struggles, I bring my worries, I bring my pain, I bring all the stuff that's going on in my life, and hopefully when I walk in this room, I also bring some charis, some gratitude, some grace. And that just might change the way this experience works its way out. And if we think about how we apply this, what does this look like in our actual lives? Paul teaching this 2,000 years ago, what does it mean for me? Well, it means, yeah, I need this heart of gratitude, but it says if you're coming into a worship service in this room or anywhere else, one of the things you need to do is enter with grace. Okay? You need to enter with a graceful heart. And that means that when I come in here, I am celebrating what God has done in my life and that He's changed me and that even though I don't deserve to be in this place and even though that none of us can come in here and say, I've earned my place, this is my seat, my place in this room, it's not. It's not because we don't deserve to be here to begin with. And we all come on the same level, every single one of us, because we're all sinners and we're all in desperate need of this same grace. But it also means that I have a responsibility to offer grace to the people around me. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. No, they don't. And neither do I. But we offer it anyway because we've received such incredible grace. What I may offer to someone else is so small compared to the grace that I've received from God. 
And so I bring grace in this room to share with the people around me. Because feelings get hurt. It's just part of the human experience. But if grace is what we bring, then grace transforms not only the experience, but the body of Christ. And that's the way it should work. And what that should lead us to is to also enter this room with gratitude. Because we are so thankful. We are so thankful for everything that God has done. And so our thanks does run in the, the direction of each other, but our thanks certainly runs to God because He has invited us into this place. He has invited us to be together. He has allowed us to worship Him. And so this is a place filled with grace, but also a place filled with gratitude, not just during the month of November, but throughout the year as we give thanks to God for what He's done. So every communion is a time of thanksgiving. Every time we sing to God, it's a time of thanksgiving. Every time we pray should be a time of thanksgiving. We're always showing God our gratitude. Today I want to finish up. If this, if this is a place where, where we, we have worship that springs from a grateful heart, I want to express that together. And I want, us to, lead, I want to lead you in a prayer and and allow you to pray some things that are going on in your life. So I'm just going to lead with a few thoughts, but I want to give you some space to express just how you're feeling to God. So I'm going to go along and just pray along with me and fill in what's on your heart, and then we'll worship in just a minute. Let's pray together. God, sometimes we come into worship and we're thinking, what are you going to do for us? But but really, when we say that, a big part of what we're saying to you is we, we are desperate for a connection with you. And so God, we always want that. But God, we also ask that you would, as we walk into this room or when we worship you in any other place, you'll fill us with grace. It humbles us when we recognize just how much we need your forgiveness. And so, God, we come before you, a graceful God, acknowledging our need for forgiveness, confessing our sin to you. And God, we celebrate that forgiveness today that expression of grace that you've shown us on the cross. And we celebrate the hope that we have that grace will transform us in this life and for eternity. And God, if we're honest with ourselves, we know there's probably grace that we need to show to other people. So God, there might be somebody in this room or in our lives that we need to show grace to. God, give us strength to do that. And sometimes it's hard for us to humble ourselves enough 
to admit our own sin so that we can accept grace from others. God, help us to do that. God, because of all that, and because of the many ways that you've blessed us, people in this room that we love, families, the fact that we woke up in a warm bed on a cold morning, had food to eat, had a way to get here. God, your blessings overwhelm us and we are grateful for them. And God, today we celebrate Jesus because we know that's our deepest, our deepest sense of gratefulness comes because of him. And we wouldn't even know what grace is if we didn't know it. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we continue to worship, let me just say, if, if you've not gotten to that point where you've accepted this gift that's been offered to you, let me know. I'd love to talk with you about that. Any of our elders, or, or I would be glad to speak with you about that this morning or during the week. Let us know. We'd love to show you the path of faith and repentance and baptism that all of us go to, go through to accept the gift of grace. If you're there, let us know. Let's continue to worship. Why don't you stand?